Pastor Ari Tori once told a story. Oh, that rhymes. That's a nice way to start off a sermon with a little poetry. He once told a story about a little town in Maine. And this was a sleepy little town where not much happened spiritually or otherwise. And the churches there had largely grown dormant and weren't having much of an impact. And that was powerful. Weren't having much of an impact on anything going on. And so a group of men from several of the different churches got together and they said, this can't be how it's supposed to be. Something has to be happening. There has to be some sort of gospel movement happening here. And even though we're just normal guys, we're not pastors, we're not preachers, we're not professors, we're not anything in between. We're just normal church people. We know that God has something for this town and we want to see God move. And so they got together and they decided that they were going to focus their time on praying for one person in particular. And so they decided to pray for the person that they thought needed it most. And so they started to pray for this man that Ari Tori called a hopeless drunkard, which is a very harsh way to refer to someone. But this was a guy who was not in a good way in his normal life. And so he was widely known around the town, had a reputation, he was a hard man, and these people got together and they started praying for him day after day after day, and then doing the work of going out and sharing the gospel and loving this man. And within a week, he had come to faith in Jesus and was baptized and a part of their church. And so they thought, well, we got him down, now who's next? And they started going through what seemed to be some sort of weird ESPN depth chart or big board of, of who needs the next prayer the most. And they, so they started going person after person, praying for the people that they knew desperately needed the gospel. And over a course of time, between two and 300 people ended up coming to faith in Jesus and being baptized because of the work and most importantly, because of the prayers of these men. And they saw God do an incredible thing in a town that had been sleepy and stagnant for some time. Now, if you go to church or if you use church lingo, it's an easy thing to say and to believe when we say that there is power in prayer. But I wonder if we actually do indeed believe that. Let me redirect that question. I say that there's power in prayer, and I'm preaching a whole sermon on it today, but I wonder if, if I really believe that especially when it comes to inviting people to church and sharing our faith. Because more often than not, in the church life, we tend to rely more on gimmicks and programs and speeches to hope that people come and hope that people come to faith in Jesus than we do on praying to the only one who has the power to save. And we look at prayer as something we do when we have time or perhaps a last option or something that we add to the important work we're doing instead of really believing that prayer is the ultimate source of anything happening and any change happening for the glory of God and the good of the gospel and the good of our neighbors. So over the last few weeks, we've been talking about going deep and wide and the importance of inviting people to church, the importance of sharing our faith. And we've just got a couple weeks left in this before we jump back into our study of the book of Luke. But this morning we're going to talk about the importance of not going alone. When we go out and we invite people, whether friends or strangers or people that we encounter to church, when we share our faith with other people, not going out alone, but recognizing the importance of covering our efforts and our people in prayer. And so we're going to look in the book of 1 Timothy today, in chapter 2, in verses 1 through 6. 
and see Paul teach us the importance of praying for others. So this is the word of God. He says, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. May God add his blessing and his favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your word, and we also thank you that you hear ours. What an amazing gift it is that the God of the universe, who created everything, who has unlimited power, chooses to use that to listen to our little prayers. And that you care about what we say, and you care about what we want, and what we desire, especially when it comes to those in our lives who need to know about you, and who you are, and what you've done. So God, I just ask that you forgive us for the times when we don't take advantage of prayer like we should. The times when we believe that if we just work hard enough or do the right things or say the right things, that amazing things will happen. And God, that you would teach us how important prayer is. And that as a church, that nothing that we do matters if it is not driven, motivated, and constantly covered by prayer and teach us to pray for others teach us to step before your throne on behalf of our friends and family on the people around us and plead with you for salvation and growth and life change help us to be a people who are genuinely dedicated to prayer who believe that there is power in prayer, and we don't do that in word alone, but we show our belief by being constantly in prayer for all things. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus who teaches us to pray and who intercedes for us before you. Amen. If we're going to summarize this passage of Scripture, we can say that Paul is telling us to pray in all kinds of ways, for all kinds of people to be saved by God. And so let's look at the first part of that sentence, that Paul is teaching us to pray in all kinds of ways. It has been said of me that I can be a little particular, particularly about the way that things happen. I have a system for a lot of things in my life. And those systems may not make sense to you from the outside, but trust me, I've thought a lot about these systems and I like everything done in a certain order. And you may have your order too, it's just probably wrong because mine is probably right. And that might not be true, but I can assure you that all the time my order will probably get on your nerves. But it drives me crazy when things happen out of order because order is important. And if you don't believe me, then you can do an experiment today. 
And this is the worst day to do that because I've done this on a Sunday before after church. You can drive to Atlanta and go to Ikea, which in and of itself is a practice of order and patience and forbearance and just kind of an awful experience overall. But then you can buy a piece of furniture, take it to your home, and it comes in a flat box. And in case you don't know, furniture is often not flat, which means that there is some assembly required. And by some assembly required, I mean all assembly required. And you can sit down with a piece of this furniture and you can start putting it together. And if you happen to miss a step or do a step in the wrong order or not be able to read the weird little illustrations the right way, you'll find that you'll put a drawer together upside down. And it's irredeemable. There's nothing you can do about it except take the entire thing apart and put it back together again. Or sometimes, not that this has happened to me, but you put four drawers together and realize that you've done all four drawers together in the wrong order and you'll be so frustrated that you'll want to throw all four of the drawers out the window and you will take up woodworking because you genuinely believe it would be easier to build furniture from scratch than put together Ikea furniture and I have learned that it actually is. Because I can do things in my order, but order matters. It's incredibly important. And it's important to Paul as well. As Paul teaches and as Paul writes to these churches and as Paul writes to these pastors like he does here as he's writing to Timothy, he has an order in which things need to be done. And in chapter 2, Paul begins by saying, first of all. And so right there we know that the, the most important thing, the very first thing that needs to be done is about to be said. But he doesn't even stop there. He says, first of all, I urge. And so whatever Paul is about to say next clearly has incredible importance because it's the first thing that he's telling us to do. He's the first thing that he's instructing Timothy on. And then he says, not only is it first, but it has importance behind it. And so I am urging you to make this a priority. You see, Paul is about to give Timothy, who is a young pastor, instructions on how to lead his church. Paul, being an older man in the ministry, is writing to this young guy, and he's given him all that he needs to know on how you, as a pastor, should run and maintain your church. And so this is pretty important stuff. And Paul is going to lay out some things in the book of Timothy that go to be the foundation for how church has always been done. And after some introductions, and then some warnings in chapter 1, Paul gets to the instruction, and he says, first of all, then, I urge you to pray. The very first thing, the most important thing that Paul has to tell this young man who is leading a church, the most important thing for this congregation that Timothy leads, the absolute foundation for everything that's done is prayer. And we see that trend throughout the entire New Testament, most importantly, in the life of Jesus, who has laid out the model for how we should live and who we should be, and all that he did, everything that he did, everywhere that he went, all of it was covered in prayer. Before he went out and did into his ministry, he went into the wilderness and prayed and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. We see Jesus through his entire life wake up early in the morning before anyone else and go and pray with God and ask God to lead him and guide him and he followed the Holy Spirit everywhere the Spirit led. Even before the night that he was going to be arrested and put on trial and crucified, Jesus found himself on his hands and knees praying to God. We've already seen in Acts chapter 2 as the first group of Christians met together 
The most important things that they did is they were dedicated to the apostles' teaching and to prayer. Throughout the history of the church and the history of God's people, there has always been a necessity for prayer. And Paul is saying that the first and the most important thing that we can do for ourselves and for others is to pray. But I wonder how often for me, and maybe this is the case for you too, that prayer is less of a first option and more of a last resort. That we try all the things that we can, whether it's in church or in our lives or for other people, we try to do all the things that we think are really good ideas, and then once all of those things have worn out and none of those things provide to be fruitful, then we say, you know what, now maybe I should go and pray. And I have to confess, as your pastor, there are times when that's how things go. I think, how can we do these things? I've got big ideas and big plans for how we can exist as a church and then finally realize, oh, something really important is missing here. Why are none of these things working? Why is it not happening? Oh, because I'm trying to do this. So Paul says, pay attention. Make sure that everything is in the right order. And before you try to do anything at all, before you go out and invite people, before you go out and share your faith, before you do the work that the church is called to do, make sure that you are devoted to supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings being made for all people. And this isn't just a call to personal prayer. But Paul is calling us to be a people of corporate prayer, a prayer that is driven by the, the needs and the good of others, and a very diverse prayer life. And if you've been doing this thing for a long time, if you've been in church for a long time, if you've been a Christian for a long time, then you know that sometimes it's easy for our prayer life to find itself in a certain rhythm and become kind of stagnant. At least for me, it can at times become very formulaic where I could just write an outline because, again, I like order and I like outlines and I like things to work that way and flow in a certain way. And so that finds its way into my prayer life as well. And so maybe it would go with, Dear Lord, thank you for this. Here's what's going on. Pray for these people. In Jesus' name, amen. And it's just the same rhythm and the same routine over and over and over again. But when we come to God, it's not supposed to be the same conversation every time. Our prayer lives can easily look like the old Looney Tunes cartoons where there was the sheepdog and the wolf. You know what I'm talking about? Am I alone here? I love cartoons. I have a very deep knowledge of cartoons. But these cartoons, there were only a few of them, but there was a wolf and there was a sheepdog and they were clocking in every day, right? They were going to work, doing the things that they were going to do. The wolf was coming to eat the sheep. The sheepdog was coming to stop and they would actually punch a little clock. It was a great gag. It was just a tried and true funny thing every time it happened. And so they would clock in and he'd be like, hey, Sam. The other one would be like, hey, Larry. And then they would go to work and they would do their things. And it was the same conversation, the same routine over and over and over again. And sometimes that's what our prayer looks like with God. It's very formulaic. It's very routine. We say, hey, God, how are you? Here's X. Here's Y. Here's Z. Have a good day. I'll see you later. I'll go about my routine. And then we'll come back and we'll do the same thing tomorrow. But Paul is calling us here to a very diverse prayer life. He says that we should pray with supplications or formal requests of God. That we should offer up prayers, that we should offer up intercessions, that we should pray on behalf of other people and for other people, and that we should offer up prayers of thanksgiving, thanking God for what he's done. And this is especially true when it comes to our prayer life for others. Because Paul is teaching us here how to pray for other people, and our prayer life for other people should be this diverse. And again, even if we're good at praying for other people, we can tend to be very categoric in the way that we pray. 
And so maybe we pray for people that we know are sick. We have our little prayer request list, and we know who's sick and who's dealing with what and who's going through what thing. And so we're praying for, for this elderly lady who's going through this and this person who's been sick for a long time. And we check off all the boxes of these physical prayer needs, and then we move on. Or maybe we just pray for spiritual prayer needs of other people, but it's just very routine, and it's always maybe intercessions. But when's the last time that we've come to God making supplications? Asking something formally of God on behalf of somebody else. Coming to God, offering up prayers that are emotionally moved on behalf of other people. Or even offering up thanksgiving to God if we see someone that we know and love come to faith in Jesus. Or visit the church. Or just have a conversation that moves in a unique direction. How often are we thanking God for the opportunities that he gives us and the new relationships that we have? We should be praying in a diverse way for the people that God has put in our lives and placed on our hearts. But not only that, but this is a call to a corporate prayer. Remember, Paul is teaching Timothy about how life should be inside of the church, and so he's calling us to pray together for other people. And we have these lists, and if you haven't gotten one yet, we have these little share packets up here that are just kind of helpful for inviting people to church and remembering to pray for people. And we have lists inside of these of people that we're going to pray for and that we're going to invite to church. And if you have your list and if you're praying for that list daily, that's awesome. And that's important. But if we aren't praying for others with others, there's a problem because we're not called to do this alone. And so we should be sharing, whether it's in our community groups or in our prayer time on Sunday morning or even during the prayers of the people or even just sending text message or phone calls, asking people to join alongside of us and pray for these names together. Pray for these opportunities together to use our voices and lift up a chorus of prayer to God with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And then when we hear all of these other people who are inviting other people and sharing their faith with other people and we learn these names, we can take those names with us and pray as well because there is power when God's people come together to pray. And so we need to practice diversity in our prayers for others. As we pray deep and wide, as we pray for the relationships that we have with other people, as we pray for opportunities to share our faith and invite people to church, we need to be doing that in a variety of ways, asking God for specific things on behalf of others, asking God for, to do things in people's lives that they don't even know that they need, especially when it comes to salvation, to thank God for the people in our lives, the people who we love the people who we care about, the people who are our family and friends, the people who get on our nerves, the people who we don't know that well, the people who may even not like us very much or would consider us enemies. We pray for those people and we ask on their behalf that God would be glorified in them, that God would save them, and that we thank God for the opportunity to have those relationships. And as we see God work in the lives of those people, we should thank God at every little milestone, for every little conversation for everything, even when it feels like it doesn't go anywhere at all, that God would just give us those opportunities. And then when we see God start to work and those people start to come and visit the church or those people respond to the gospel and being baptized, then we should make sure that we are constantly thankful for all that God has done. And so we need to learn to pray in all kinds of ways. And then he tells us that we should pray for all kinds of people. And whether we admit it or not or are aware of it or not, we have a tendency to categorize people. 
And obviously we know sometimes that is in the harmful, destructive, evil ways. The big isms, racism and classism and sexism and all of those things that happen that are unchristlike and ungodly as we not only divide ourselves, but we hate other people because they're different than us. And we know that that has no place in God's kingdom. But there are also times when our categorizations are a little more innocent. Because we're taught from a very young age that we categorize things. When you're in young and when you're in kindergarten and all that, you learn to put things in groups and orders and things that go together and things that are alike. And so we learn to see the world in these structures. And that happens in our prayer life as well. We start to categorize the people who we need to pray for the physical stuff, right? So maybe we have a bunch of people who are sick or dealing with physical ailments or they have problems. And so these go in our physical category prayer list. And then we have people who are maybe need to be in church. They haven't been in church in a while. They love Jesus, but they're in and out of church. And we know that that will be healthy for them. So here's our list of those people. And then we have people who we want to invite to church. We want to share our faith with. And it seems like they are really open and willing to that. And so here's our group that we believe that God is going to do something in. And then maybe there's a group over here that we think they're just too far gone or don't have a place or they've rejected us over. And so maybe they go off the list and we start to categorize different kinds of people and how we should pray for them. But in verse one here, Paul says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And I love the way the Christian Standard Bible translates that. It says that all these kind of prayers should be made for everyone and for anyone. And then in verse two, Paul seems to single out one particular kind of person. He says, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And so it would make sense that Paul would point out people in authority because especially during this time, the church was constantly having to deal with persecution and oppression from people in power. And so, of course, Paul would want to pray for people that had that power so that the church could exist and thrive. But there's also another reason that Paul would encourage these people to be praying for that kind of person, people in that high of authority. Because kings and authorities would be the absolute polar opposite of the social spectrum from Paul and from all of these people who were trusting in Christ. We've seen all through the book of Luke that when Jesus started going through all the cities and preaching, he didn't start in the courtyards, he didn't start in the palaces, but Jesus went to the outskirts of the towns and the little villages and he started preaching to the poor and the outcasts and the oppressed. And these were the people who were coming and putting their faith in Jesus and following the teaching of the apostles and who were the first disciples. And so Paul is saying we should pray for everyone, even the people that are on the complete other end of the social spectrum from where we are and everyone in between. And we should pray for them in the same way with these supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgiving. No matter who they are, no matter where they come from, they fit into this category. They need Jesus. And that's all that matters. And so Paul is teaching us here to see the world as Jesus does. Not with our categories, but with his. And when Jesus saw the world, he saw it in two different categories. Those who followed him and those who didn't and needed to. And that's how we should see the world as well when we pray. And so we lift up all kinds of prayers for all different kinds of people. And we need to start to recognize that these boundaries that we set up are, are just artificial and fake. Because we start thinking about people who may be beyond our reach or maybe might not be receptive to the gospel and we start to limit what God can do. But when we pray, we are reminded that there is no boundary that God cannot breach. 
And so we need to be able to see people the same way that those men in Maine saw people where they said, you know what? No matter who you are, no matter how far off you seem to be, God loves you and God wants you. And we're going to pray for you until God breaks your heart and brings you in. So what if? What if we learn to open up the floodgates and spend time praying for everyone that we can think of with the same kind of passion and fervor? What if we prayed for the lost with the same passion that we prayed for the sick people in our lives? What if we prayed for people that we don't know very well the same way we pray for family members who need to come to church and who need to know Jesus? What if we spent the same amount of time praying for our enemies as we do our friends? I love hearing my kids pray. It's a really awesome thing. And Josie started when she was really, really young, and we kind of let her formulate that. And so she loves to pray before we eat. And those prayers started at a very early age. She had two things that she prayed for. She prayed for her wedding and our food, which seems really early to start planning for that. And so one day, if and when she gets married, that wedding day has got a lot of prayer preparation going into it. But then she started branching out to where she would pray for people at the table, which is really adorable and cute. And then you go to lunch with 12 or 13 people, and she starts praying and counting and looking with her eyes open. She like looks at everybody as we go along and prays for them. And then there's part of me that thinks, okay, I'm really hungry. Let me probably wrap this up now. And you just cover it with a real base prayer. God knows all these people that are praying for. My food's getting a little cold. And then part of me thinks, what is wrong with you, man? She's praying for everybody. And I know there's been so many times in my life where I've felt so rushed in my prayer life that I feel like I can't get everybody in, but maybe it would do us some good to learn and to pray like a child. And now Lucy does it, and she doesn't know everybody's name, so she kind of mumbles through some people at times. It's really nice and fun. So Josie's teaching her little sister to pray, and I kind of need her to teach me to pray too. Because what if we learned to pray that way about everybody in our lives? What if we made a dedication to be people who are genuinely devoted to deep and long prayer, recognizing that time spent in prayer is far more valuable than time spent out being busy, and that as we pray and as we dedicate these things to God, he's going to make the work easier, and he's going to make our path straighter, and he's going to make these opportunities much more clear, and so we're going to be able to spend less time having to figure it all out and more time just trusting that God is going to lead us exactly where we should go. We need to be a people of prayer constantly and persistently for all people. But we need to give ourselves time to pray. And it can be easy to say, and again, I'm very guilty of this, that I'll give maybe 15 minutes in the morning or a little run through or I'll pray on my drive into work. And then I'm just going to spend the rest of the day that when something comes onto my heart, I'll pray for it. That's not how Jesus prayed. It clearly doesn't seem to be how the disciples prayed, and that's not how we're taught to pray. We should reserve time to pray. Are we the kind of people who's willing to wake up an hour or two early or go to bed an hour or two after everybody else or make time in our day where we are just being still, knowing that he's God, praying for ourselves, praying for all the things that God is doing, but also spending incredible amounts of time praying for people in our lives. We need to give ourselves time to pray. And when we have opportunities to pray, pray immediately and pray constantly and even pray for people that we don't know. And so are we willing to answer that call? 
Are we willing to be a church that is really dedicated and devoted to being a people of prayer and really believe that the only way that anything happens here happens by the grace and mercy of God and by his leading? And so we are going to go to him and petition him over and over again like that persistent widow that we talked about a few weeks ago saying, God, this is who we want to be. This is where we want to go. This is what we believe you're going to do, but it can only happen if you do it. Are we going to be willing to put in the time and the effort into prayer to see that happen? I really believe if we do, we, much like that early church in Acts chapter 2, will see God do things far beyond our wildest expectations, and we will be left in awe, thinking, A, why didn't we do this sooner? And B, can you believe how good God is? And so we should be praying in all kinds of ways for all kinds of people with fervor and with dedication and putting the effort into it. Because we are praying for them to be saved. That's a big ask and something that only God can do. But it's something that's amazing and wonderful. In Genesis chapter 1, we see this incredibly amazing poem of God creating the heavens and the earth. And there's this repetition all through the cadence of Genesis chapter 1, where it says that God started to move. And then he spoke into existence. He said, let this happen. Let there be light. And there was light. And God looked at the light and he saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And the next day, the same pattern, the same pattern all through the six days that Genesis 1 lays out for us. And in each of those moments, as God creates something, he looks at it and he sees that it is good. And then on day six of creation, we see God look at everything that he has made. He says, behold, it is very good good. When God calls something good, it's no small proclamation. When God says that something is good, it's good in a way that we could never understand or imagine. And here in verse 3, as Paul says to pray for all kinds of people in all different ways, verse 3 says, this is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Paul says, when we pray for other people, God looks at it and he sees it as good in the same way that he looked at the first sunrise and saw that it was good. In the same way that after he hung the stars in the sky and put them in the exact place that they should be, and he looks at the vastness and the amazing immensity of the universe, and he looks at it and he says, it's good. It's the same kind of good when God hears his people praying for others. That's an amazing thing. And Paul says that it is pleasing to God. It's pleasing in the sight of our Savior. And we know, we saw Jesus teach us in the book of Luke that God loves it when his people pray. And now Paul is reaffirming here and he's making it clear that not only does God love it when his people pray, but then when we pray for each other and we pray for other people, that it pleases the heart of God. And if there could be a summary of what we're supposed to do, as followers of Jesus, of our end goal, of what we desperately want to happen, it should be that we want God to be pleased with us. That's our return for the salvation that he gave us. Because he saves us by grace, not based on what we do or how we work. Then after God saves us, then we just live our lives saying, he was so good to save me where I was. So all I want is that God would be pleased with who I am. 
It's what we were made for. It's our purpose. It's the, ex it's the essence of our existence. And at the core of it, this is true worship. That we do something and God is pleased by it. And think about all the things that we do to try and please God. And we think if I just follow enough rules or if I just do the right things or if I just attend church every week. And we're going to talk next week about why that's important and that's a good thing. And we should come together week after week after week and make it a priority. But if we think that just doing those things is going to somehow earn God's extra favor, we can run ourselves ragged trying to find ways to please God. When Paul is saying right here is if you want to please God and if you want a surefire way for that to happen, then pray. And specifically pray for other people that they would be saved by God. You see, we're taught in Scripture that God desires that all would be saved. He says here that this God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And so what happens here when we pray for other people to be saved, we take our desires and our will and our hopes and our dreams and we sync those up to God's. Because God desires that all should be saved and come to the knowledge. And so if we start to live that way, and if we start to pray that way, all of a sudden we are thinking and dreaming and seeing the way that God sees. And our desires line up with his. And so out of all the things that we want, and all the things that we can pray for, this is of ultimate importance. And so we should be praying that people would be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. That phrase should be a constant in our prayer life as we pray for other people saying, God, I want them to be saved by your grace and come to the knowledge of truth. And I need you to do that because no one else can. So we need to pray specifically for these people in our lives. Pray constantly that we would see people saved by Jesus. Now wonder if we had little prayer pie charts floating over our heads that showed how we pray and who we pray for and the amount of time we spend, I wonder what mine would look like. I wonder what yours would look like. Will we have a significant portion of that pie where we are going to God specifically asking that people in our lives would be saved, or would that be one of those tiny little wedges as everything else fills that time? Because what we see here is that that should be one of the most important things that we pray for and the most constant things that we pray for because it's something that God desires and because of that, it should be something that we desire as well. And so let's learn to shift the priority of our prayer life to reflect the desires of our God that no one would perish but everyone would come to the knowledge and truth of who he is. And so we pray for all kinds of people in all kinds of ways to be saved by the grace and mercy of God. But why prayer? Why specifically is prayer what we do? If we want to see people saved, why don't we just go out and, and pick up the tools that we need and head out and do that work? Well, the answer to that question ultimately boils down to how we understand salvation. If people can be saved by doing enough good things, or just becoming good church people, or following the rules, or memorizing verses of the Bible... If being saved comes down to just being a really good person or church attendance or having some sort of a feeling or, or experience, then we could teach that. We could have seminars and courses on how not to break rules and how to live a moral and upright life. 
or how to reprioritize your time to make sure you do things the right way or in the right order. We can teach all of those things and we can construct for ourselves really good church people. But if we want to see salvation, if we want to see broken lives made whole, if we want to see people who don't know the goodness of God experience his grace and mercy, that's something that can only come from God. Paul says there is one God and one mediator between God and man himself, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul says there is no other road to salvation. There is no other road to this relationship with God than through Jesus because he is the only mediator. And I thank God for this truth. Amy mentioned this in the prayers of the people, but we don't have to come through a person. You don't come through me to get to God. We don't come through priests or pastors or preachers to get to God, but Jesus came to give us unlimited limited access to God and only he could do that because he is our ultimate and great high priest and so God is saying here in the only way that you can find salvation the only way that you can be my child is to come through Jesus the Bible says over and over again that salvation belongs to the Lord and God is the only one who can save anyone and so we can shine people up and give them all the tools to be good people but we by ourselves can do nothing to give them salvation and that's what really matters. Salvation comes from God alone, through Jesus alone, and so it requires divine intervention. And so we can invite, and we can share, and we can do all the good things that we want in the community, and we can do all the outreach we want, but without covering our efforts in prayer, it is all in vain because salvation belongs to the Lord. And so let's not be guilty of spinning our wheels trying to make something happen that we can't do, but let's be people who before we go out and invite someone, before we go out and share our faith, that we have spent time on our knees in prayer, praying individually and praying with one another as a church that God would do something amazing far beyond what we could do on our own. This is a hard thing to jump into. I went on my first bike packing trip this weekend. It was a lot of fun. I loaded up my mountain bike. And I, I had ambitions for what I wanted to do. I saw this, I looked up this loop and it was in North Georgia and I was gonna do it. And it was gonna be about 25 miles the first day, probably about 30 the next day. I thought I could probably handle this. And then I approached this road that is called Winding Stair Gap Road, which is incredibly aptly named. It's just five miles of just uphill nonsense. And I got to the top of it and my thighs were cramping and they were on the verge of that real cramping. You know, they were just shaking a little bit and they were a little tweaky, but I knew what was coming. And I knew that those miles were not coming. So 15 is where I topped out and I needed to, to just pace myself. And I needed better tools and I needed more proper training. And sometimes these things take a while. And so it might not be easy to jump into tomorrow. I'm waking up at 2 a.m. and I'm praying for three hours. And this is going to be my life from this point on. If you can do it, more power to you. But I know how that works for me. I've tried that before and it just turns into extra sleep and then a lot of guilt because I just slept through my prayer. I'm like, I'm sorry, God. And it just gets weird and awkward. But it takes time and practice. And so we have some, I have some tips just to help, things that have helped me grow my prayer, because it's not something I'm, something I'm naturally good at. It's not a discipline that necessarily comes easy to me, because I'm a little distractible, and I like to keep myself busy, and it's hard for me to sit down and just to be still and spend time in prayer, and I get a little fluttery and wander off, and so I have to have some things that help me out. And so first and foremost is start today. Start praying 
now, today, as soon as you can. Just make yourself get in this habit. Set reminders if you need reminders. We can, we can alarm ourselves to death now. I looked last night, and I was trying to find my Sunday morning alarm to make sure it goes off, and I have three different 6.15 alarms. I don't know why. I could just have one, and now covers weekdays at 6.15, Saturdays at 6.15, and Sundays at 6.15. And instead of actually just deleting them and realizing that this is now an everyday thing, I leave them. I don't know why. We can alarm ourselves to death. And so set reminders to get yourself thinking about prayer because if we're not careful and if you're busy, and I know we all are, it's very easy to look up and realize the day is gone and we haven't spent any time in prayer at all. Take something with you. I love pocket notebooks. I'm a big advocate for pocket notebooks, but if you use your phone or something, take something with you to where when you have an interaction, write it down. I'm very forgetful. I had a conversation this morning. It was awesome. I, was, I went through the drive-thru at McDonald's because I was hungry and I needed a little caffeine because I'm sleepy because, like I said, slept outside the other night, didn't get a full night's sleep, fall allergies, a lot of stuff going on. So I need a little caffeine, a little nourishment. I don't know if McDonald's is nourishment, but something at least that feels like nourishment. And I drove through and the, the first window, the girl at the first window asked me if I was going to work because I was wearing a t-shirt, I guess. And I said, no, I'm going to church. And she said, oh, I work seven days a week and I wish I could go to church, but I don't have an opportunity. And so we got to talk about that a little bit. And now I have somebody to pray for. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to forget because it was a 30 second conversation and we drive off. And so I need to make sure I have a way to remember that. There's an app I love, it's called Echo, it's a prayer app. And they're actually, I think they just unrolled a thing where we can kind of sync up with our, our prayer requests and you can, churches can use it where people can submit prayer requests to it. But it's super easy and it's free and it can set reminders for you. Whatever you need, find a way that you're going to remember the things that you're supposed to be praying for, even if it's writing it on your mirror over where you brush your teeth in the morning so that you can be praying. Share these things with other people. If you're praying for something, don't pray for it alone. But tell other people in the church, tell other people in your life and ask them to come alongside of you and pray for it. But also ask them to hold you accountable for it. And it's amazing that when people are praying for you and with you and we're praying together and you know that that's happening, it all of a sudden starts to hold you a little bit accountable. And I love Carolyn Sad, Mr. Jeff. He has this great system where he just sends out a number seven to people that he's praying for. And so every now and then on a Thursday morning at 9.30, I'll get just a seven. And at first I'm like, what is this seven? I feel like there should be more information here. And they're like, oh wait, now I know he's praying for me. I should pray too. And so remind each other, help each other out, be a part of the family of God and let's pray together. And then set aside a significant time. And maybe that does need to start small with 10 or 15 minutes in the morning and then slowly adding to it because this is a discipline. It is a practice. It's something that takes work. But set a time and make that time where you are just going to spend time in prayer and you are going to pray diversely and you are going to pray for all the things that Jesus teaches to pray for, but especially that you are going to be praying for people who need to know Jesus. We can go on and on and on about all these little tips, but the biggest thing is let's just do it. And make the commitment together to be a people of prayer and to hold one another accountable. And then go out and do the work that God has called us to do and be ready to stand back and watch as God does something that we could never imagine or understand because all of this belongs to him. And so let's learn to pray deep and wide, individually and as a church. I promise you we will see God do something 
unbelievable and then we get to participate in what that church in acts chapter 2 is doing where they were just in awe and wonder of all that god was doing so with that said let's pray